Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. How about them Cowboys? We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, you st- uh, you come down from the uh, Taylor Swift Super Bowl high yet? Uh, you know, it was a fun night. I enjoyed the Super Bowl. Hopefully the 49ers can shake it off and try to oh, do it. Nice. <laughs> um, man, it's gotta be tough to be a 49ers fan. It's Mahomes is at the level now where my dad and I were talking, uh, Monday after we watched the game Sunday night. And I'm like, you know, just once in the next 10 years, I would like the Cowboys to be the team that's good enough to get to the Super Bowl and lose to Mahomes because you're not going to beat him. But if you can at least get there, it'll be a lot of fun along the way. Um, he's unbelievable, man. It was it was another fun one. Well, that's the scary thing is, is this the worst offense he's ever going to have in terms of, you know, the receivers are a disaster. I mean, he throws a winning touchdown to McCole Hardman, who the Jets cut. The Jets didn't think McCole Hardman can play. Um, they've They really, and I hand up, I was wrong. I thought they made a huge mistake in, in letting Tyreek walk, and all they've done is win two Super Bowls without him. Um, you look at Kelsey getting up there in age. I know he he kind of turned it on there late in that game. He's up, he's up there in age. I thought I thought they should have tried to get Kelsey on a cheaper deal or trade him and keep Tyreek, but it seemingly doesn't matter who the heck Mahomes has at receiver. He's he's winning Super Bowls, Colby. That's the scary part. First off, and the second scary part is. He's won three Super Bowls, one trailing by double digits. Like, these are going to get easier for him, are they not? Uh, yeah, I, I always go back to what if D Ford wasn't offsides? I don't know how many people remember that play. I was in Oh, the, yeah, against Tom I, Brady? Yeah, I was in the stadium. It was zero degrees. The Chiefs fans went nuts. I saw the flag go up immediately. I knew what it was. And, uh, I mean, if D Ford isn't offsides on that play – then the Chiefs are going to beat the Rams in the Super Bowl that year, that Jared Goff-led team. Mahomes had 55,000 yards, 50 touchdowns that year. That would have been one more for Mahomes, one less for Brady, which makes this all even crazier. Um, Yeah, this is the worst offense that he's done it with. It's also, I think, far and away the best defense that he's done it with. Chris Jones, Legereus Sneed, and Trent McDuffie are legit three of the best, I don't know, um, 30 defensive players in the entire NFL on one defense. I think it's very underrated what they did on that side. Steve Spagnuolo was not very good as a head coach, but he is an elite all-time defensive coordinator. So uh, worst offense he's ever done it, done it with, but the best defense that he's ever done it with. I mean, the Chiefs only put up like 63 yards, I think, in the second half against the Ravens, but because the Chiefs defense was so good, um, they still win the game. So I think it was a, a very well balanced Chiefs team you have Superman on offense and then you got Kelsey as well uh Rasheed Rice came along as a rookie but that defense was just unbelievable carried him most of the season and then a little Mahomes magic sprinkled on at the end and he's got three rings at 28 he I don't know what the limit is for Patrick Mahomes but he's the best I've ever seen do it uh, a lot of people are call, calling him Jordan he, he's Jordan he's Tiger he's Serena he's all those things um and, and fortunately for me, the Chiefs are not my team, but I'm a Cowboys fan, so they're not a team I dislike, so I can enjoy watching his greatness. Well, and did you see by the metrics, it was the toughest path ever to Super Bowl? Like someone put out the stats, just who they faced on the road, like by all the metrics, it was like the toughest path ever <laughs> to, to a Super Bowl title on, on top of 
you know, playing with a makeshift uh, receiving core. So that that's pretty scary. I was a little, I was having a great time. We had, we did a little squares game at the party I was at. Uh, my wife won the first quarter. I won the second and third. Oh. And I was on pay. I was going to win the fourth, which takes some of the big money, until the missed extra point. Oh. If he kicks that extra point, uh, I mean, obviously going to overtime ruined everything, but. If he kicks the extra point and San Fran just holds him, I would have won the my my house would have won every quarter. I was not happy with that missed extra point. Yeah, that's a big if. The if SF holds him for whatever reason. Again, I think it's partially the Tiger effect. That's why I said the Ravens crumbled and lost to him. Like teams tighten up late against Mahomes and those two minute drives at the end. It's like everybody on the other side also knows. God, he's going to do something special here, isn't he? And they just can't stop it. So. um I don't know when he's going to be stopped. He's in a conference with Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, um, CJ Stroud. Who else am I missing? Like the, the conference itself is loaded with star quarterbacks. So I don't know if he can keep doing this year after year, but I saw a crazy stat the other day that uh, Tom Brady went nine seasons in the middle of his career without winning a Super Bowl. And if Patrick Mahomes didn't win a Super Bowl for the next nine seasons, he would still be on pace with what Tom Brady accomplished. Um, so Wild. yeah, it's, it's a testament to those two, how long Brady did it and how elite Mahomes has been so early in his career. Well, we, we forgot to make our predictions on the pod last week, but your score was pretty close. What was your score total? Uh, 24, 23 chiefs was my final prediction on Sunday. So I was off one point in each direction. Yeah. I had 2017 chiefs. So we were pretty much close on that. Um, again, I can't stand the chiefs. I'm on record. I do not like Mahomes. I think he's a crybaby. Uh, Travis Kelsey, thirstiest dude in the league. I don't know what, I don't know what Taylor Swift's thinking. Like his little post game speech, it just he's just such a clown. But I will say this: I'm happy for Chiefs fans. I think it's been remarkable. You know, most of my life, Colby, the Chiefs have been terrible. I mean, they when I was very young, they had the little Montana run. That was basically it, and that stadium has been packed every single Sunday. I can't think of a. Uh, other than maybe Buffalo, you know, very deserving fan base in Kansas City. So I, I'm torn on that aspect. You know, they're close to Oklahoma, a lot of Chiefs fans in the area, uh, great fan base. So I'm I'm happy for them on that end. But I'd like to see them be dethroned next year. Um, yeah, I, I would like to see some other guys get one because there are really great players who get trapped in the era of all time greats who then don't get to to see the fruits of that labor. And I think Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, those guys are kind of falling into that bucket right now where these are really good, great, even players. And they just can't get over the, they just can't get to the top of the mountain because there's somebody in the way. Um, so I would like to see some other guys get some, but I, I don't dislike the chiefs. I, I think Mahomes is mostly likable. I think whenever you do as much winning as he has done and things don't go your way. Yeah. I think occasionally he can come off a little whiny, but it not enough to bother me. Um, and I think Kelsey's just out there having fun. I, I think he is who he is. He's just a, a big goofball who likes to go crazy and have fun and he wants to be a star and he is. And, um, yeah, I think I think he and Taylor Swift's relationship is good for the NFL, good for football, um, good for young girls who love Taylor Swift and, and want to watch the Super Bowl. So I'm I'm fine with the Chiefs if they keep winning. I, again, I would just like my Cowboys to at some point get there. Yeah, that's going to be tough. But the NFC's a lot easier to get there now because again, 
Vegas hasn't learned their lesson. <laughs> San Francisco was favored in the Super Bowl. You and I were just baffled by that. And now the the early Super Bowl odds now, San Fran's the favorite and the Chiefs are behind them. I I I assume that's because the AFC is such a gauntlet with Burrow coming back, the the Ravens, Bills, the teams you've mentioned, but people I like shouldn't we just like I I don't think we did it this year, Colby. We talked about it. Just whenever the Chiefs lose a couple games next year and their odds drift to, you know, 10 to 1, just just bet that every single year. Yeah, I didn't do it this year. I did it a couple of years ago and it was an easy hedge in the Super Bowl. Um I didn't do it this year because I I thought their offense was so bad that like okay there's no way this year but I I didn't realize in the middle of the season how great that defense was also you, you talk about the NFC and some of these teams I think the craziest stat I've seen all week and I wouldn't have thought this just because recency bias what have you done for me lately the Dallas Cowboys have won a Super Bowl more recently than the San Francisco 49ers and that stat really caught me off guard wow yeah was it 90, 96 when they beat the Steelers with Switzer. Yeah, and 95 was the last time that yeah. the 49ers won one, which is I mean for those two franchises we're on we're going we're at 30 years now. That's wild. Yeah, so I mean, I think when they the Chiefs had that stinker at home against the Raiders, their their odds probably drifted quite a bit. So that's something to monitor for for everyone moving into next year. Uh this podcast is brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate Chris's sponsoring the podcast. As always, it is basketball season, Colby. Let's shift to uh, Mike Boynton and company. Uh, tough road loss in Bedlam. You know, Mike Boynton's made a habit of, of winning Bedlam. It, it certainly looked like it was there for the taking. Uh, but once again, just another one of those lapses down the stretch was their their undoing. I mean, it's just same song, different dance. You know, Javon Small was – he didn't shoot it great, but he was one of the best players on the court, but just wasn't enough. Another frustrating end for, for OSU. Yeah, it, it was. And I watched that game in its entirety. We were just home for the evening Saturday night. I put it on I'm like, all right, Bedlam basketball. Here we go. This is this is their chance to do something. And to their credit, they hung around in what was an ugly basketball game. The first 10 minutes, uh, I mean, we weren't doing anything Saturday night. And I almost turned it off because I was just so disgusted with what the product was on both sides. Those first 10 minutes, I think they started uh, the game three for 20 from the field to the, the two teams combined. Um, yeah, it was just an ugly basketball game. And then there was some rhythm early in that second half, but it's just these droughts that they go through. I mean, they get up 56 to 52 and a little less than five minutes to go. And then immediately Oklahoma goes on a nine to nothing run. Now you're down by five. You're having to make up ground late. And it's just a team that has not figured out how to win in these late game situations. And there, I want to say it's two and eight. Now, if I remember the stat correctly from the broadcast the other night on, uh, Games decided by five or fewer points. I, I don't know. There, there's two ways to look at it. One is this team just doesn't know how to win, and who knows how many of these guys are going to be back, and this is a total disaster. The more glass-half-full way to look at it would be this team is littered with young guys, and if they can take these lumps this year, learn these lessons, and they all come back and stay together as a unit next season, then maybe they, they can turn the, the two and eight in close games into seven and three in close games, and how big of a difference would that make at this point in the season? So um, all in all, it, it was tough, and at the end of that game, just – I mean, you're down by three and you, you drive to the basket with five seconds left and, and turn the ball over. Uh, Javon Small had a great game. They tried to foul him at midcourt, and I understand that was the excuse. He thought he got fouled. They tried to foul you at midcourt. They didn't get the whistle. Now you've got a wide open stop and pop three. That's your shot right there with four seconds left. If it goes in, great. Let's keep playing. If it doesn't, 
game's over, but you can't drive to the basket with four seconds left down three. So um, thought it was just a, a, a disaster final five minutes for Oklahoma State and led to another close game loss. It's just it's kind of the story right now. Yeah, I mean, that's coaching, right? Like we saw the same situation against Baylor where his players are seemingly unaware of the situation, unaware of, of what to do with the ball in these key moments. You have to stress <laughs> going into that. You have to take a three. Uh, it's just to me that's just another coaching lapse. Um, again, it's become a hallmark of Mike Boyne's tenure. These final five, five, six minute droughts to end games. They were horrible offensively throughout. They shot nineteen of sixty-two from the floor. That's thirty percent. Three of eighteen from three. That's sixteen percent. And somehow they still had a chance to win. But it's just again, it's more of the same. So I, I did want to touch on. A uh, really good article from Barry Trammell on Mike Boynton's future. Uh, and this is, I just want to kind of go through some some of the high points with you. And this stat just, like I know this stat, but just to see it in print, you know, I keep referencing it's basically been since 05 that OSU's been kind of stuck in this quagmire. But did you know since March 2005, OSU has just two NCAA tournament wins. We're coming up on, that's 19 years. We're coming up on 20 years next year when the last time they won an NCAA tournament game. So as much as we we harp on Mike Boynton and his tenure, this has been this has been kind of going on for for a long time. Yeah, it has and it's really just kind of a shift we've seen in Oklahoma State from a basketball school to a football school. Um and I think you're going to get to a, a spot um where Barry Trammell in an article references the 6.7 million it would cost to buy Mike Boynton out after March 31st and how that's money that could be spent on football NIL. And we're, we're living in a world now with collegiate sports where you have to determine how to spend that money. But the basketball program, I, I don't want to say it's not a priority, but I think naturally it has become and has to be less of a priority when your football team has the chance to accomplish um, what it's doing right now and, and in this run that Oklahoma State football has been on for the past 15 years where it's carried the university and really um, kind of brought the university to more of, of natural prominence. So um, as difficult as it is to see basketball struggle, and I understand some people would, would be irate at the idea that basketball is less of a priority now, but I don't know, Carson, I, th I think that's only natural um, when football gets so good that the resources have to go there less resources are going to go to basketball. And I, I think that that's just kind of the harsh reality that Oklahoma State finds itself in right now. Yeah, and that's one of the other key points that, that Tram makes in, in this article. He says money matters. That's kind of the, the bullet point. And it's kind of what you said, talking about the, the shift of Oklahoma State becoming a, a football school. He says an OSU booster told Tram that Boynton won't be fired because the $6.7 buyout uh, – would be better spent on name image likeness for football. Uh, they go into that, you know, Mike Gundy's success uh, over the last 15 years, they've been the second best, the second most successful program behind only Oklahoma ahead of Texas. And with those two leaving to the sec, that's certainly like what you mentioned. Uh, the That's kind of backed up what I've been hearing too, Colby. I, I don't think Chad Weiberg is going to be willing to pay that buyout just strictly for money reasons. Um, the other reasons he lists here is Boynton is is very popular and and well loved. We all we know all that. Um, and then he goes kind of into the the Travis Ford deal you and I talked about last week. You know he says Ford wasn't popular, but you know he made he made the tournament five times in eight years. And again, I will repeat this: that was largely due to Sean Sutton's players early on. And now, of course, 
a majority of those tournaments came from from Ford's own players with Marcus Smart and all those guys. But uh, that's certainly been something he's had to deal with, as well as the NCAA stuff as well. Um, but you know, it, the gist of the article, Colby, is Boynton's had to deal with a lot. The money's too big of a hurdle, and he's well liked. So I think that that kind of spells that all signs point that he'll be back next year. Yeah, and I think that there was some context in there that um, some things that we probably forget about, those of us who aren't on campus every day and who aren't in the weeds every day about how well-liked he is by everyone, not just in the athletic department, but everyone around campus. Like, he just really is one of the most popular people in Stillwater, and I totally understand why. He, um, through all of all of what he's been through at Oklahoma State, he has always remained positive. He has always taken ownership over the failures. He has always um, shine light on his players for the successes, namely in that in that Cade Cunningham year. And some more context Tram put in there. One tournament appearance in, in seven years. Last year, they were the first team out. Um, they had a year taken away by sanctions. Probably wouldn't have made it anyway, but who knows how that impacts recruiting for that season. They had another year early on in his ten tenure where they were one of the first teams out. Uh, there was a COVID-shortened year where the, the college basketball season ended in the first round of the Big 12 tournament where Oklahoma State didn't have a chance to make it. So you, you combine those factors with what the buyout would be with how popular he is. Also, I mean, he, he still has talented young players who want to come play for him. I don't know. Would, would it be the worst thing in the world if this entire group just ran it back next year? If Bryce was back, if Javon Small was back, Brandon Garrison, Eric Daly, Connor Dow. Um, I know Hicklin is going to run out of eligibility. John Michael Wright is going to run out of eligibility. But if all those guys come back next year a after taking their lumps this season and Mike Boynton is still the coach, would it be the worst thing in the world? Probably not. You, you give it another chance and see how it goes. Um, I think the seat would, would even be hotter next year, depending potentially on what happens. But I think there's a number of factors um, that could keep Mike Boynton in Stillwater. I, I, I've gone back and forth just about every week. I, re I really don't know what's going to happen on that front. Um, but Trammell lays out some pretty pretty significant um, concrete reasons why there's a good chance he'll be back. Yeah, I mean, that's it's easy to forget that now when you just look at Mike's resume, but he did get hosed by the committee twice. I mean, especially the year when they put in Trey Young. That, team, that OU team did not deserve to be in the tournament. Um, so, And they do they do tend to play well once you get into march you know last year they were nine and eight in mid in mid-january uh then they they uh rallied during conference play beat ou in the big 12 tournament got an 18 and 14 record and as you mentioned we're the first team out so i think we're already starting to see a little bit of those signs where they they start to play better once you get closer to march and that again i was just railing on his coaching but he does deserve credit for that he, he does seem to fix things that are going wrong throughout the season. That's a sign of a good coach. It's just, it's the late game, you know, in game coaching, uh, situational strategies type stuff that I think he struggles with, but no, I, I agree with that. You know, he says booster funds will not, will not be used to, to buy out a coach. And that's kind of where the, what you were talking about with the controversy of how much to, how much emphasis is on basketball. So that, that all remains to be seen, but uh, it's just it's kind of a frustrating time. It's been a frustrating time for nearly two decades now. So, uh, what do they have next, Colby? I forgot to look uh, that up. Uh, hosting BYU on Saturday. No midweek game this week. Hosting BYU on Saturday. A good BYU team, but Oklahoma State does play better at home. And to the credit of the players and to Mike Boynton, 
Um, man, they're struggling shooting the basketball, but they're they're still playing hard. They've been competitive in all of their games lately, so you, you still hope that this team can sneak a few out here late in the season to hopefully have something to build on going into the offseason. You want to talk some football? Always. Always want to talk some football. Well, we were speculating on our recent podcast about the win total for Oklahoma State, and courtesy of Cody Nagel at 247, he posted the Big 12 football win totals from FanDuel Sportsbook. You got Kansas State at 9.5, Utah 9.5, Arizona 8.5, Kansas 8.5, Tech 8.5, UCF 8.5. Tells me they don't know who the heck's going to win this conference. Uh, Iowa State 7.5. Then you got Oklahoma State at 7.5, followed by TCU at 7.5. So I kind of speculated on this, Colby. You thought they might come a little higher, but for whatever reason, Vegas remains pretty down on OSU. 7.5, is that... I said that'd be hammer time. Is is that hammer time? Or are you still worried about Boynton or uh, Boynton? You still worried about Bowman getting hurt? Uh, no, that's that's hammer time. I think seven and a half is. Um, I I think if Bowman went down on the first snap of the season, they could still go over seven and a half with one of the other guys. I I just I do too. Yeah, it baffles me how Oklahoma State is in this position, um, where they continue to just be doubted by Vegas. I mean, Oklahoma State is one of the best teams in the country against the spread since Mike Gundy took over. They just get no respect, and I believe uh, you've got the list pulled up there. Kansas State and Arizona are the two highest win totals in the conference, right? Yep. Kansas State lost its quarterback. Arizona lost its coach. I I mean, what are we doing here with these numbers? I don't get it. Is there anybody out there who knows what Oklahoma State is returning and knows what these other teams are replacing? I Maybe it's me. I Maybe it's bias. Maybe it's homerism. I don't know. Uh, my book does not currently have that line out. As soon as my book has it, um, I will be making an additional deposit. I I, I, will be, <laughs> I don't have a ton in there right now, so I will be making an additional deposit. Uh, my wife does not listen to this podcast, so that's a good thing. Happy Valentine's Day. I love you. Um, yeah, I'll be making an additional deposit, and I'll wait until next December, and I can – I think pretty easily cash that seven and a half just doesn't make sense to me. I think that's a great idea. And if you are, if you're one of those that are concerned about Alan Bowman getting hurt, I did hear a very encouraging thing from, I saw someone posted uh, Robert Allen's interview on, uh, I can't remember the outlet he was on, but as we all know, Robert Allen's sideline reporter at Oklahoma State gets to watch practice. He had some kind of eye opening slash jaw dropping things to say about Zane Floors being I, I wish I had what he said exactly, but he basically made it sound like don't just pencil don't just write Sharpie next to Alan Bowman's name with QB one. That's how impressed he's been with um Zane Floors. So that that struck me as interesting. And I think that kind of goes to your point that you don't really care if if he gets hurt because Again, seven and a half, all I got to do is win eight games. With, with Zane Floors now getting some of the hype that he's getting from people who watch practice, that's even more reason for for optimism. Yeah, I, I, I do still care if Bowman gets hurt because I still like that veteran leadership. That gives me a, a comfort factor. Um, the chemistry that he got late in the season with Owens and Presley gives me the comfort factor. But yeah, I, I love to hear all the rave reviews about Zane Floors. I, I really don't think this is going to be too much of a quarterback competition. I think it is Bowman's job as QB1. I think he did more than enough in 2023 to secure that. Um, and And I think, again, with, with me assuming that he's the starter going into next season, I picked him 11-1, and one, and, and I still feel pretty good about that. 
I just think this team is returning so much in an era of college football where that's so rare. It's hard to pick against Oklahoma State in a lot of these games this season. So I love the rave reviews about floors, but I, I will still take the known commodity of Alan Bowman for now, and um, I think he'll be a good leader for Oklahoma State. But I do expect Zane Floors to be the backup. Can you hear this? Did no. you hear that? Nope. Says, I think he'll. There's a freight train in the quarterback room and it's coming on. It's a little bit like what K State had last year with, with Johnson as the backup. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I mean, a freight train coming through is how he describes Zane Floors. Uh, and that's great. I mean, you, you want as much talent in that room as possible. Uh, I don't know, man. Bowman was good last year. I'm, I'm telling you, he was good, and he was really good at the end of the season. I I just I think that would be a really tough move to make. Um, I don't know, Carson. We we've never really seen anything wonky go on at the quarterback position, at Oklahoma State. It's always pretty. <laughs> it's always pretty uh, neutral at the beginning of the season. So. Oh, uh, that's funny. No, it's it's a good problem to have because uh, we were very much in question. What would what would the backup situation be? should Bowman go down next year. So that's certainly encouraging. And and to your point about Vegas, just just the baffling nature of the win totals that, that I listed, a uh, guy who follows it, Greg McElroy, I think does a really good job calling games. You know, he he started out, you know, he played quarterback at Alabama, obviously, he used to call much more SEC games. But now that he's been calling Big 12 games now for a few years, I think he's much more in tune with things. And I listened to one of his podcasts, and he had Oklahoma State number two in the Big 12. He listed Oklahoma State as the toughest game for Utah, who he had number one. And he basically made the point that, you know, their season will be defined by those two conference games uh, right off the bat between Oklahoma State at home against Utah and then on the road against Kansas State. And I'm I keep looking at the schedule, Colby, and I kind of think I I if I had to pick their win losses game by game, I might pick them to go 0-2 to start Big 12 play. We start looking up. Not, not us, but, you know, the buyout talk that was last year that people start questioning Mike Gundy again. Couldn't you see him going 0-2 in Big 12 play and still winning, going 10-2? and uh, I mean, could they still go 10-2 and in that scenario? Yes. I don't see them starting Big 12 play 0-2 because I just – I think Boone Pickens Stadium is such an underrated hard place to play. And Utah coming in as the first conference game of the season the matchup everyone knows these are two of the favorites to win the conference um it's going to be nice and warm in september i just i think that is a tough tough spot for utah that crowd is going to be um it's going to be unreal for that first conference game against utah oklahoma state's not losing that game i'll tell you right now um time rolls around everybody's healthy figure out whatever the money line is. I, I hope Vegas continues to doubt Oklahoma State. I hope they'll make Utah a three-and-a-half-point favorite in that game, and I can go in and hammer Oklahoma State on the money line. Oklahoma State is not losing that game at home to Utah. I'm I'm, I'm too confident in that, way too confident. All right. I, I'm with it. Um, we'll have to see what, what the teams kind of look like through non-conference play. But there's the win totals, so I would hammer it if I were you. If you're a listener, I would definitely jump on that if you can. Uh, you ready for the toast of the week? Uh, absolutely. Yingling, our good friends. Brought to you by Yingling. Check out their Golden Pilsner. It's a really good one. Highly highly sessionable beer is our interpretation of an outstanding modern Pilsner born from six generations of brewing expertise, golden in both name and color. The Yingling Golden Pilsner is the perfect balance of hop and malt character for crisp and smooth, thirst-quenching refreshment. Now, is that 
that not the most descriptive description you've ever heard of a beer? I, I love that. That is such a great description that I think Yingling might be my new Valentine. <laughs> Put that on a candy heart. That's a little little wordy for that. But where are you going this week with your Yingling Toast of the Week? Uh, I am going to the court. And no, I do not mean basketball. How about a little love for tennis? The Oklahoma State Cowgirls are one of the best teams in the country, and they had a close one against Michigan to win the ITA indoor national title. It's not an NCAA-sanctioned national championship, so there will be no banner. The national championships will be held in Stillwater in the middle of May. I, I really hope I can get up there. I like tennis as a spectator sport it's all right there in front of you um it, it's it's really i think fun to watch i played some tennis growing up uh i grew up in the era of federer nadal djokovic on the men's side serena sharapova um th those players on the women's side so I, I grew up watching quite a bit of tennis and i hope i'm able to get up to stillwater in the middle of bay to watch them play uh came down to a sophomore for oklahoma state having to beat a senior for michigan and the sophomore for oklahoma state lost the first set 6-4 and then came back and won the next two sets 6-4 to to clinch it for Oklahoma State. So that's big time. Oklahoma State was the number 3 ranked team going into the tournament that week. Um the number 1 and number 2 teams lost. Oklahoma State defeated the number 2 team in the country, Stanford. North Carolina is the number 1 team in the country. They were upset um in the quarterfinals. So yeah, Oklahoma State one of the best teams in the country, undefeated and hosting the NCAAs this year. So uh, massive props to them and the Yingling Toast of the Week for winning the ITA indoor national title. Yeah, I mean, that facility clearly paying off. I mean, you, you pump money into a program and they're, they're seeing the success. That's that's big time. Hang another banner. Yeah, no doubt. I, I would love to hang another banner. The more national championships we can accrue, the better. Everybody loves rooting for a winner. I I really think the Greenwood Tennis Center is likely to be packed out for that national championship with as good as this team is. Yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, one team that will be tough for them to win the national championship, but I want to toast the OSU wrestling team. They've beaten 11 ranked opponents this year. That's the most of any team in the country. Nine of those ranked wins have been in a row. Uh, they haven't faced an unranked team since December 19th. They're going to get two more opportunities with number 25 Oklahoma and then number four Iowa left on the schedule. So Oklahoma State... Still number two behind Penn State as the only two teams left that are undefeated. So Oklahoma State, they're they're a really good dual team. It'll be tough to to get all the points necessary to beat Penn State. They're just so far and ahead right now in, in wrestling. It's, it's it's crazy. But John Smith's really had a great year. So had a great year, and they're they're getting close to the the finish here. So I uh, wanted to shout out OSU wrestling. Give them the toast of the week. Yeah, again, national championship or not, this is a program that is clearly making its return to prominence and dominating. They've got Bedlam this weekend in Stillwater and then hosting Iowa next Sunday in Stillwater. So uh, great stuff happening on the wrestling front. And it's fun to see because that is a um, an anchor of Oklahoma State Athletics is just wrestling being great year in, year out. So that's a lot of fun for everybody. And I did get some Twitter questions. You ready to hit some of those? Absolutely. Let's do it. Uh, let's see here. Uh, from our friend Brian Metcalf, always sends in good questions. With Tennessee versus NCAA starting up, what would you like to see happen as a result, no matter the outcome of the lawsuit? I haven't been following the lawsuit too close. So this this stems from, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the NCAA coming down on Tennessee for NIL violations, and they're threatening to sue them. They've got like, you know, people in the government, uh, from this, the Tennessee state government coming after the NCAA. So I, I hope they hammer them. I hope they take them to the cleaners. And I think 
hopefully that would set my ultimate outcome would be to set sort of some sort of precedent for unjust decisions the NCAA has made. Obviously, it's too late to fix what's happened to OSU basketball, but any sort of recourse that would lead to Oklahoma State pursuing litigation would be great with me. Yeah, I think big picture, um, I, I haven't followed this super closely, but closely enough to kind of get the gist of it. I think this is just continuing to signal the shift in collegiate athletics that we're seeing where um, the NCAA is going to continue to have less and less power. And the way NIL is monitored, um, the way the rules are brought down on programs, it's just, it's a mess. It's a total disaster. It's a hard thing to police. And um, I, I do think it's good to have it all out in front because again, there have been schools Mary Switzer. Um, there have been a lot of schools who've been doing NIL for a long time. It was just off the books. So I think it's good that it's all front and center and we can all see it. But man, what an absolute spider's web for the NCAA to navigate, for the schools to navigate, for state legislatures to navigate. I, I just think all of this is going to get a lot more muddy before it gets clear. And um I don't think this will be the only one of these type of cases that we see, if, if that kind of makes sense what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm sure Florida State's going to do the same because they're already mad at NCAA for leaving them out of the playoff, and now they're getting in trouble for NIL violations too. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see on that. This is a good one from James Engel. Would you trade Ollie Gordon next year for an NCAA tournament basketball appearance this year? Would you trade Presley for it? Would you trade either for a Sweet 16 appearance? I'm going to give a big fat no. Because with Ollie Gordon in the fold and Presley in the fold, who knows what OSU football can do next year. With all the talent they have coming back, I think we've talked about it at length on this podcast. It's OSU's a football school now. And watching that Bedlam basketball game, Colby, you mentioned it. It's just the product is not what it was when I was in school. Certainly even just 10 years ago, really. I mean, it just... Guys that are any good at all go play pro, whether that's overseas or leave for the leave for the NBA early. And you know, you go back to the OSU's last Final Four team; that was all seniors, <laughs> all upperclassmen. So it's just it's a different product, and it's not a good product. And college football is by far the best product in collegiate athletics. So I would say no. Yeah, I would say no, and and for the reasons that you just mentioned, but also for another big one, which is the emotional attachment that I and I think a lot of the fan base has to this football team because it's players who've been around, who've cut their teeth at Oklahoma State, who've made their names at Oklahoma State, who have become stars at Oklahoma State. And Oklahoma State fans have gotten to watch Brendan Presley grow up from the, the high school kid at Bixby to where he is now. We've seen Ollie Gordon come in the couple of years of frustration. How good is he? Why isn't he getting the ball? And then the massive explosion last year. Like, I, I think that all of the tangible things that you pointed to are big in that aspect. But I think that the, the fan base is in love with Brendan Presley and with Ollie Gordon. And those guys just don't come along every day in modern collegiate athletics, guys that you get to watch grow up and watch develop for their entire careers and become stars at your university. And I, I just, no, I wouldn't trade those guys for anything at this point. Yeah, this one's for you uh, from Curse of Cowboys. The standard OSU golf set for themselves is national championship or bust. Why does it feel like we are losing our edge a little? Considering our tradition and recent PGA slash live success from our alumni, I expected big things in 2024. Currently, we're ranked outside the top 10. Am I overreacting? Oh, yes and no. Yeah, No, you're not overreacting in the sense that Oklahoma State golf fans 
have gotten used to, have been used to for the last 40, 50 years, um, have gotten used to being one of the best programs in the country and being a contender for a national championship year in and year out. I, I will say the um, logistics of college golf have, have changed drastically over about the last 15 years. The Tiger era and everything that he did to make the golf, the, the game of golf explode in the United States, um, it has had trickle-down effects to the college game to where now Oklahoma State, I think, used to have a big advantage in facilities and golf course and things of that nature. And so many programs around the country have poured a ton of money into golf. Um there are donors around the country who are wealthy, uh, older white men who love the game of golf and have poured money into golf programs around the country. And some of the facilities, I mean, Arizona State, if you see what they're doing out there, um, North Carolina, Wake Forest, like some of these places, Oklahoma State's been caught up and even passed to an extent. There is a massive renovation going on at Karsten Creek right now, an 18-month project where they've got the course closed um, and they're doing some different things to upgrade. So that that makes it tough right now without those facilities that a kid named Preston Stout go out. And I think he shot a 62 last week. It was, they've got some good young players, but I think there's going to have to be some patience from the fan base as they get the golf course rebuilt. And as they, they look to get back to that position of prominence, because trust me, I, I don't like logging into golf stat and seeing Oklahoma state finish T four in these tournaments. It's, it, it's not what I'm used to either. Uh, but I think that this is a program that will make its way back. I think it might just take a couple of years to get the golf course back, get the facilities upgraded and restock that talent pool with some of the more elite players that we've started to see um, disperse a little bit more throughout college golf instead of have such concentration of those guys in Stillwater. Yeah. It just, to me, from my perspective, it, it doesn't seem like they're getting nearly the level of player they used to get. They used to get like the number one player, the number one amateur every single year. Uh, obviously the, the juggernaut he built, Alan Bratton built with, Hovland, Wolf, Ventura, that whole team, and, and uh, Ekro, that whole that team was obviously you know those teams don't come ar- come along very often, if ever. Uh, I don't necessarily think he needs to have a team that good every single year, but from my perspective, it seems like he's missed on on recruiting the last four, five, six years, really since Hovland and Wolf left. It doesn't from is is that fair, a fair assessment? It just doesn't seem like they're getting those can't miss guys that once they get on campus they're they're immediately one of the best players in, in college golf i know they had the brian stark kid leave go to texas that was a weird situation as well but i think bratton needs to start landing the recruits he used to land i think that's the reason you're seeing these finishes that they currently have yeah the the weird off season where they lost chakara and stark really really chopped the legs out from underneath this program like that was a tough tough offseason when you're supposed to come back and be one of the favorites in college golf. Remember, that was a team that made uh, that made match play at, at Greyhawk and lost to, I think it was Texas, in that first round. And you, you think you're returning both of these veteran guys who are going to be the cornerstones of your team that year. And Brian Stark decides to go to Texas, and Eugenio Chikara decides to go to live. Like, that's tough for Coach Bratton in that offseason. Um, we're still only five years removed from truly one of the greatest college golf teams ever. Um, I know the 18 team won it at Carson. The team the next year might've been even better. I don't know. College match play is a, a weird beast whenever you get there, but um, I understand the frustration. I, I in general think that this team is fine. Do you, do you know who the six man was by the way? Cause now I'm just getting nostalgic talking about how great that team was. Do you know who the sixth man was on that, that Hovland Wolf, Boshu, Ekro Ventura team? Sam Stevens. 
Sam Stevens, regular on PGA Tour leaderboards, regular on the weekends. Um, this season, he has not yet broken through, but he's had a couple of chances, and I, I think eventually he might lift a trophy. So, yeah, that was the sixth man on that team for Oklahoma State. Yeah, that's oof, that's that's loaded. Uh, from Matty McGrew, do y'all think relatively high expectations for the upcoming football season is less than ideal, considering Gundy thrives in an underdog role? Uh, I wouldn't say that. I would certainly take what they have, like this, the way this season shapes up, I will take 10 out of 10 and let the chips fall where they may versus like the year, like the 2014 season with all that uncertainty, uh, some of their, you know, some of their lesser win seasons. There was a lot of low expectations for those years and they didn't exactly thrive. So give me, give me all the high expectations because that means on paper, you're going to be one of the best teams in the big 12. Uh, yeah, I'm here for the high expectations. This is what I would say. Um, and I'd have to go back and look at the results and some of those things. But the way I remember it, hopefully this isn't revisionist history, the years Oklahoma State has had high expectations, there have been some good things to happen in those seasons, and those have been good football teams. And the big trip up for Mike Gundy, just time after time and again with these good teams, they couldn't beat OU. They couldn't do it in 15 or in 16 or in 17. Um, they, they couldn't beat OU. Well, that's not a problem anymore. They hit the road. Get, get lost, kick rocks. Um, I think that that is, is big, that you don't have that just lurking, waiting for you in November. You get Utah at home right off the bat. Again, I, I think that's probably um, that game against Kansas State are your two toughest opponents, and I love getting Utah at home. So um, I will always take the expectations because a season like last year where you go in, you don't know who's quarterback, you don't know what the defense looks like, you have no idea how good anybody's going to be, I don't want that over what we've got coming this next season. The excitement, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Carson, I do want to get to one from last week. It was sent in just after we got done recording, and I thought it was a really good question. Scott Tyner asked, how many actually really good coaches are there in the FBS, like really good? When the fans assume it's easy to just go get a great one off the tree, um, there's a short list of coaches that are actually on that, uh, coaches that turn three stars into 10-win team type good coaches um i really don't know I, i've thought about this because we got it last week the actual really good coaches there are in, in college football that you know year in and year out what you're getting how many names are on that list 15 20 i would probably say like 15 because you know you look at a you look at a coach like for instance uh james franklin at penn state i think most people would say he's a good coach but I don't, I don't know if that's true. Um, Penn State is perennially underachieved with him. They basically just beat up on the dregs of the Big Ten, and that gets them close to the top ten every year. So I think if you really dissect it, I, I probably wouldn't go higher than than fifteen. I mean, I mean Notre Dame's coach, he their preseason top fifteen team. I think he hasn't proven anything either. Um, you know, you look at. Sonny Dykes, they're they're kind of back to reality at TCU after that, you know, just unicorn season they had. Um, and you go to some of like the lesser names, like Chris Kleiman, I think would certainly be on that list. So no, I I think it's a valid point, and I think it's one where let's say Mike Gundy retired today, like, what's your list even look like? There's just not a ton of names that would just jump off the page that you could go and get, right? 
No, not at all. I, I think that there are some good coaches that are still kind of proving how good they are. Like I think Dan Lanning is one of those. I think he's going to prove to be a really great coach. Um, e- even a guy like, I don't know where you put Mario Cristobal in this bucket. Like he was at Oregon, seemed like he could have been successful there. And then he's gone down to Miami and has been a total disaster, but has now stacked a couple of recruiting classes on top of each other. So maybe they get good at some point and he enters the conversation. I don't know where you put like Lane Kiffin as a, a barometer on here, but um, Mike Gundy is certainly, I think, among the 10 best consistent year in, year out. You know what you're getting coaches in college football and obviously what he did this last this last season I think plays largely into my opinion on that with with the way that he was able to turn that season around and get it to where they ultimately wound up so um yeah Mike Gundy and what he's accomplished at Oklahoma State have been special and it's good to remind people of that from time to time we had a lot of questions about softball and baseball expectations this year um and I think this is a you know for baseball I'm pretty much on the record Colby uh, I think go win the Big 12 uh, and host a regional. I think that would be a really successful season. And even if you don't win the Big 12, I know that's tough to do. Uh, host. Uh, Oshi baseball should host a regional every single year. Softball, I mean, to me, it's in, that kind of ties in this question with Hunter Weaver, a uh, better chance of winning at all wrestling or softball. I think softball's kind of got the same problem with the juggernaut that is Oklahoma that wrestling has with the juggernaut that is Penn State. Uh, probably lean softball just because – the way the format works with wrestling, you don't get to just play them head to head where you could, you know, you know, one game scenario, you could win that. Whereas softball, it's, it's an elimination series. I'd probably go with softball on those odds, but just your thoughts on softball, baseball, and, and that, that question about wrestling versus softball. Yeah. Softball off to a great start, big win, uh, dominating win over UCLA starting the season five and zero. Oh. I did read something good on pistols firing blog.com. Uh, Nolan Schubert talking about some of the guys behind him in the lineup and how if teams want to pitch around him this season, it's okay. Cause they've got some more guys backing him up. I, I do hope that teams will continue to pitch to Nolan Schubert. Cause I think he could just be in store for a monster season. It's one of those things, like you said, with Oklahoma State softball, you've got the behemoth that Patty Gasso has put together right down the road. And, I mean, if that's at Alabama or UCLA or Arizona or somewhere else, it doesn't feel as bad. It hurts a little bit that it's just right down the road in Norman. But Gajewski's done a great job. I would expect that team to have a chance at least to make it back to Oklahoma City again this season. And then baseball, you you just you need to host a regional Things can get random in the playoffs. You get hot pitchers and timely hitting. You can advance. Uh, you fall victim to a team who has a couple of those things going for them, and you can get knocked out. But I think hosting a regional is is the floor of what our expectations should be for this Oklahoma State team. Yep, I would agree. So, again, appreciate everyone sending in Twitter questions. Colby, anything else you want to hit on before we get out of here? Uh, don't believe so. Happy Valentine's Day to all the ladies out there. Y'all are the best. Oh, one more thing. Were you as confused as seemingly everyone was, including the San Francisco 49ers, about the new overtime rules? I had no idea that those were the new rules until the game was underway, until overtime was underway. So the part that confused me, I, I knew that they had done away with the uh, the regular season rule where if you score a touchdown on the first drive, the game's over. Um, and basically that's the Mahomes addendum to that rule because 13 seconds left, they kick a field goal to, to tie the game against the Bills. Then they get the ball to go down and score. Josh Allen never gets to touch it again. That's not fun for anybody. So that's the Mahomes rule that changed. So I knew that was different, but I did not know that they were planning on playing another quarter if that clock ran out. And Romo was having to do some serious last-second scrambling, and then he throws it to Hardman. He's like, well, it doesn't matter anyway. Super Bowl's over. Um, So it was a little bit chaotic there at the end. But, yeah, I I think that 
the Chiefs, obviously, they said that they'd been talking about it since training camp and they were prepared. And Shanahan, I saw his quotes this morning, came out and said that they had uh, some player personnel people making sure in between the fourth quarter and overtime that their players knew the rules going out there. Uh, I'm like, that's just an, an unbelievable difference in preparation from the two sides for that scenario. Yeah, and I mean, if you know the rule, Shanahan, you have to kick. You cannot take the ball first because all that does is you essentially hand Mahomes four downs every time he has the ball by going by by taking the ball first. Whereas, you know, if it's, let's say the Chiefs had the ball first, like, and they don't score a touchdown, I know it's a lot of ifs, but it just it completely changes the entire game plan for Kansas City, knowing that they can end the game with a touchdown and just. I thought that was just another huge gaffe by Kyle Shanahan. Just seemingly his players after the game said they didn't know the rules, whereas the Chiefs said they've been talking about it since preseason. Uh, just that's those little coaching differences win you Super Bowls. And I just, I couldn't believe, as soon as I realized what the rules were, I, you know, it was kind of funny. I was trying to explain the overtime rules before they popped the graphic up. I was giving them the old regular season <laughs> overtime rules and then they explained them. So even I was a little lost to, to begin the game, but I'm not a NFL player or coach. So that to me, that was inexcusable. Uh, yeah. And by the way, while we're ripping on Kyle Shanahan, I just want to say a Andy Reid to me is in the class of Belichick, Walsh, Shula, those guys. I, I think he's in that class. He um, didn't win the big one in Philly, but man, he had a ton of success in Philly. And then he comes to Kansas City, gets Mahomes and, and was that four Super Bowls in five years and they've won three of them. I think Reed is in the class with the greatest coaches in the history of the game. Well, there's only two coaches that have more Super Bowl wins than him, Bill Belichick and Chuck Knoll. So I'd say he certainly cemented that status. And I think if you're a Shanahan guy, I think he's very much like Andy Reed. You know, Andy, Andy Reed took these lumps that Shanahan's now taken three times in the Super Bowl uh, as well. So I think we may, you know, 10 years from now, look at Shanahan as similar. I think he's obviously a really good offensive coach. Uh, certainly turned around the 49ers in, in quick quick order. So it was just a, a weird way to end that game. I, I forgot to mention that. Yeah, can't give Mahomes the extra down. That's a disaster. Uh, Carson, have a great week. Listeners, have a great week. Hopefully Oklahoma State can get one against BYU this week and then Bedlam Wrestling. Hopefully Oklahoma State keeps it rolling on the mats as well. We're back next week. Thanks for listening as always. Go Pokes!